Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Bowell. And today we are pulling back Hollywood's crypt to review the 2002 black comedy, Death to Smoochie. He slams the door, he stomps his feet, sends me to bed with zilch to eat. But my stepdad's not mean, he's just adjusting. Which I kept referring to as death to snoo snoo, and no, I'm not a Futurama person, it's just what's stuck in my brain. Honestly, death to snoo snoo is probably a better movie than this. <laughs> it... This movie could either have been a half hour shorter or a half hour longer and it would have been a better movie. Like it could have either taken the time to make the commentary it was trying to make and right. failed to make. Right. Or it could have been lightly funny and cut out a lot of the like not really thought through commentary and been fine, I guess. Yeah, like just to get to it. This movie's a fucking mess. It's a lot. It is a lot. And, and yeah, like you say, it kind of tries to balance, like, it's got a bunch of plates spinning in the air. One is, like, wacko screwball comedy that Robin Williams is known for. One is it's trying to do the thing Network did and make you care about, like, the deep personal power plays of TV network executives. And, like have some sort of social commentary but it's trying to keep all these plates spinning at once and it only has one hand because the other one is like caught in the smoochy costume <laughs> well and you even said like this is a black comedy but it's not actually funny no 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 it is it is very much not there are like there are a couple of things that work in yeah. Death to Smoochie, but for every thing that works and everything that I find amusing in any way, shape, or form, there are three other things that not only just don't work, but like actively go the other direction. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are so many problems. Well, okay, so getting this out of the way, in case you missed it, Death to Smoochie. Which turns out it's a tongue twister. Death to Smoochie. So it's like a cringe romp fueled by mouth harps and rainbows and a lot of like Barney adjacent media through the darker side of children's shows. And then we have Smoochie, a life-size dino, I mean, rhino, um, being the last source chance for a specific kids network on the edge of disgrace. But their new character of Smoochie has made a lot of enemies just by being himself and the fallout therein. So we just have doomed from the start Ed Norton getting stalked by Robin Williams and there's the Irish Mafia. It's a lot. It's it's a lot. It's so much. Where to begin? Here's where I'll begin. There is a Jim Carrey TV show called Caring. 
And the plot of caring is what if Mr. Rogers in his real personal life had his young son die in a car crash and it like breaks him and his family mentally, but he's still trying to do the Mr. Rogers show. And it's a brilliant series and it does what I think Death of Smoochie was trying to do so much better. Yeah. Uh, throughout this entire time, all I could think about, because this film, this, this film is so much about canceling. Yeah. The canceling of beloved children entertainer characters. All I could think about was the Paul Rubens scandal. Are you familiar with this? Do you, do you, Pee Wee Herman. Pee Wee Herman, and he masturbated in a theater, right? Yes. Yeah. Pee Wee Herman uh, masturbated in a, in a pornographic theater. That's a, a very important word to include that doesn't, I would argue makes the crime at least less horrifying. Um, but went through a scandal and Pee Wee's Playhouse was like, kind of pulled off the air and i think that somewhere somebody was like oh i want to riff on that i want to play on that and that would have been good because like okay here's the thing smoochie the the guy within smoochie edward norton's character who is so much smoochy that i forgot the character's name sheldon mopes and i only know that because i just saw it so there you go. But he's so effervescent and focused on, we're doing this for the kids. We're going to make this without major vendors. We're going to do this without GMO-fueled food. He has this whole thing about how he is a vegan and he's out at like a diner and he says that he got them to order vegan dogs, the protein of the future, which if... Alex is vegetarian, so I've had the unfortunate displeasure of eating a few <laughs> vegan dogs, and I just, just don't, just don't, yeah, just avoid them, eat Fair other enough. things. <laughs> My point being, it's so he is such a wholesome person, and the pursuit of this movie is oh, and he gets so turned, yeah, by children's media and the back and forth and owning it and stardom and it's this whole thing but they don't go far enough no because at the same time they're trying to make that movie they're also just letting robin williams do whatever mm. you want whatever he wants which normally is the play and the move yeah and what robin williams wants to do is do foul-mouthed like improv comedy because this is dead center in the middle of robin williams's dark period the two movies he made before this were one where he plays a serial killer and one where he plays a serial stalker who dreams about being a serial killer and then mm. he did this <laughs> mm. this is our second robin williams role where we've gone oh hey robin williams is in this this isn't a good movie. Well, no, that's the trick is like good Robin Williams movies aren't cult because they're beloved by everyone. Sure. And remembered fondly. Well, I was thinking about how like 
this isn't the only Robin Williams role where he's like also a children's beloved TV star. Because in Mrs. Doubtfire at the end, he makes her this whole character, which is great. And then we have Robin Rainbow or Rainbow... uh, Rainbow Randolph. Rainbow Randolph. And what a treat he is the only thing i love about him is that he has this rainbow sequin blazer that yeah. i wanted yeah and that's probably the best thing about him because here's the thing rainbow randolph is not a character this bugged me as soon as i realized it but like the movie opens with a you know fake out taping of the rainbow randolph show where we we just see him dancing around and singing a meh children's Mr. Rogers knockoff song. And then I don't even remember what the thing that gets him canceled is, but he gets canceled and immediately goes into like this character. Oh, it's, he was taking bribes from people to have kids like have better spots on his show and and they got, they, they caught him on it. And like the he, FBI, because for some reason the FBI cares about children's media. Eh, the FBI probably cares about money. Sure, there's not a lot of money in children's media. <laughs> well, that's how they caught him. No, <laughs> um, we immediately the, the next time we see him, he's talking to John Stewart at like the docks, and he's very manic and upset, and like already obsessed with revenge. And we never actually get any real character mm-hmm. of Rainbow Randolph. He's just, what little character he is, is he's this disgusting, petty, cruel, callow, selfish, just caricature of a thing. He's Krusty the Clown. Oh, Krusty has so much more heart than Rainbow Randolph. Okay, but he's that same sad, like, this is the end of my career. This is all I can do, but it's my entire personality. Yes. And and you know what? I, I, I do appreciate the comparison. I think that's actually really apt and really brilliant. Oh, my God. Thanks. I do. Like, I, I, I can think of any number of jokes where Krusty is, like, just saying something out of the corner of his mouth or just being a, you know, complete asshole. Crusty is the Simpsons writers are so much better than the writers of this movie, I guess Correct. Is, is what the thing <laughs> is. And, and just, he's not a character. He gets, you know, a very obvious, like redemption, third act turnaround. It feels very random. It, yeah. It, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere, but like, you know, it's going to happen because yeah. It's kind of the only way this movie can go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this this is the second returning to cult fiction, Robin Williams, and re- once again, Robin Williams is far from the best thing in this film, which is not what I would have expected before seeing it. You better grow eyes in the back of your fucking head, you horned piece of shit. Because I'm not gonna sleep until worms are crawling up your foam rubber ass. I'm going on safari, motherfucker. Safari. What, before you came into this movie, what were you expecting? I'm very curious. So I remember seeing the trailers for this movie. 
I remember it being spoken about as like, oh, it's a it's a black comedy. Um, and the one conversation we had about it, Alex was like, oh, I saw that and it was really bad. Good luck. And I was like, no, you know, I mean, it's 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 got Ed Norton. It's got Robin Williams. Danny DeVito is a competent director. Like, this is going to be like some weird zany, like, probably, probably really great, but it was wrong for the time kind of like mystery adventure whodunit thing. And that works for like 10 minutes of the film. And then you just realize, oh, oh no, I, this is not right for any time. And that thought compounds in your mind until you're sitting there being like, is Danny DeVito a good director? He directed Matilda. He has to be a good director. He directed Matilda. Can he only direct children's movies? No, he directed the fucking Jimmy Hoffa movie. Like... He directed a Jimmy Hoffa movie? Oh, yeah, where he played Jimmy Hoffa. And Jack Nicholson murdered him. Perfect. A plus. (laughs) Let's go watch that movie instead of watching this movie. I mean, fair. Yeah, this this has Ed Norton immediately coming off of Fight Club and American History X. Like, oh, like that Ed Norton. Yes, because I was like, oh my god, it's baby Ed Norton. But it was like, you've made it, Ed Norton. Ed Norton. Here, Ed Norton, be in a movie with Robin Williams. Unfortunately, you're going to be a rhino and it's going to be a terrible script. And I would argue Sheldon, Ed Norton Sheldon, is maybe the best part of this movie. I will. None of the acting in this movie is bad. Oh, I would argue Robin Williams' acting is actually bad. No, he's just on so much coke. This was 2002. I hope he was sober, but I, I don't know. I don't think he was sober for this. He doesn't act sober for this. That's fair. So, okay, another thing that I want to talk about. We're talking around how awful this movie is, but the weird cinematography in this movie was something you and I looked at each other and we were like, what the fuck is happening? Yes, and I, I had a thing I, I could say, but I don't want to jump on your point. No, that's that is my point. There were so we have the first scene where we see Smoochie and we've got like chin shots and like dark, like weird angles yeah. and very bizarre lighting, and I'm just like, what is going on here? This is not my Oscar. And I say this movie has maybe the most offensively bad cinematography I have ever seen. Oh, we love a film student getting offended. (laughs) Just, I mean, it's the old classic, could I have filmed this? And like, maybe I couldn't. Maybe I would have gotten really nervous in Times Square. But you know what I wouldn't have done is a bunch of weird, random, extreme close-ups on people's eyes and lips And, like, a shot where I want Ed Norton and Robin Williams' face in the same frame. So I'm going to stick the camera, like, two inches in front of Robin Williams' cheek so that you see Ed Norton in the background. (laughs) It's weird. It's weird as hell. And, like, I looked up. The cinematographer is a guy I have not heard of named Anastas Mikos. And, like, 
he has a career. The dude has gone on to like work steadily and I have no idea how because I was grinding my teeth at how much I despised a lot of his choices in this. And I truly feel like Danny DeVito just went like, well, I'm acting and my name is on there as director, but like do whatever you want. It's fine. Yeah, okay, whatever. No, it's fine. I, I'm gonna, I have to go talk, you know, probably it's, I have to go talk to the writer and try to salvage this thing. I mean, maybe, I just think, okay, you watched Strictly Ballroom with me outside of this show. Indeed. It's also on our list. But do you, there's a shot specifically in Strictly Ballroom where they zoom in on Barry Fife's face and he goes, no new steps. And it's just his lips and he kind of looks like Donald Trump and that's what the cinematography is like. But that's okay because in the context of Strictly Ballroom and in the context of that scene in the context of that character, it is justified. It's he's doing the John Lithgow, there will be no dancing in this city thing, only it's there will be no new dancing in this dance hall thing. And bravo, you've made my point for me. Thank you. Good night. I'm done. I can go to bed now. <laughs> it's not at all justified mm. in Death to Smoochie. It is truly just random. It is truly just like it happens in the middle of scenes for no good reason. And it'll like it'll happen twice in a row and then stop. And there's so much about this film that doesn't feel justified which is why it bothers me so much well and it's so interesting because i want to say that this is a movie that it would make sense if we were like oh it was on a really tight time schedule and they made what they made because maybe with three more passes at the script and maybe with an extra two weeks of shooting and maybe with you know x amount more in the acting budget or x amount more in the costume budget it could have been just that much better and it's not there and they were like yep that's the final project yeah and it's there's no reason i can figure out other than like Everybody who was involved with this thought that they were making a slightly different movie. One person thought this was a screwball comedy. One person thought this was like a amusing mystery whodunit drama. One person thought they were just remaking Network. Robin Williams was like, oh, this'll, this is a paycheck. I mean, Jim Carrey was attached to this movie at one point, but he dropped out to do The Majestic. Right, and so he was going to play Ed Norton, and, like, I don't know that that would change anything. Eh? Because, like, again, Ed Norton is fine. Catherine Keener, returning to cult fiction, Catherine Keener as the female lead in love interest. She's fine. She's just doing random stuff. She turns on a dime between hating Ed Norton's character and being, like, incredibly, passionately, earnestly in love with him. 
because they both watched the same children's media character TV show. Yeah. Which also real quick, my own personal headcanon and something that did in fact make the movie better for me was to imagine that Catherine Keener was playing her same character from being John Malkovich <laughs> just later in life after she inevitably divorced Cameron Diaz mm-hmm. and just like moved on and, and winds up in this insanity. Winds up in the winds up in the children's media business and is like, okay, sure. I'll do this now. This is why I'm hardened. I've already gone through all of this bullshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I knew Merv Green was a fucking jizz bag from the day he grabbed my ass at a Feed the Children benefit. I actually love that headcanon. It's, this is a movie you gotta cling to things that actually work and make sense because there's so much that doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense to have michael rispoli who is an actual good actor play an offensively bad character in this film he plays spinner dunn he plays the character who acts incredibly unintelligent because he has had so many concussions because he's a boxer which feels like a really like somebody walked across the street so they could make some really offensive mentally handicapped jokes uh-huh and that was the only way they could justify it and still like have the character be what it is mm-hmm. because if this if this movie is made 10 minute 10 years earlier Spinner Dunn is not a boxer. He is just a... Mentally handicapped person. Men- mentally handicapped person. And nothing about the movie changes, including when he's murdered. Out of curiosity, what role do you know him best from? Oh, so yeah, here's the thing. I say Michael Rispoli is a good actor, and that's because like I absolutely went through his IMDb because I was like, what the fuck did this guy do? And like... There's no mm-hmm. one thing I can point to, but like he was in 24 episodes of The Deuce, which I understand to be a really good HBO series mm-hmm. and like has been in a bunch, has just been in a bunch of things, things that I'm like, well, that's good. He was in Magic City. I love Magic City. I don't remember who he is in Magic City. He's in the Rum Diary. He's in the Kick-Ass movies. Like, this guy clearly knows how to act. And it wasn't just a favor to Danny DeVito to have his friend in him. What role do you know him best from? I'm sorry. I want to I wanna rewind. He was in the Kick-Ass movie, so he's a good actor? The Kick-Ass movies are a lot, but they're not bad. <laughs> he's... Hey, Luce, is this guy bothering you? Because it looks like he's, you know, leaning. He's in While You Were Sleeping. Oh! He's that guy in While You Were Sleeping, which that example of what just happened, that's an example of why we started this podcast of just, like, quoting movies at each other. Indeed. He was in While You Were Sleeping, and that's why halfway through this movie I tilted my head and went, not oh. fascinating okay yeah so i have a very personal connection to that actor <laughs> i mean go off we I, I have nothing against michael rispoli i 
you know, what, what led us talking about is me being like, I know this man to be a better actor than the material he was given. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> Are you wearing the black black bra? I love black underwears. My name's Spinner. Oh, I know. It was so offensive. It was so terrible. And halfway through the movie, I was like, okay, I know that they're trying to make this very of mice and men. And <sighs> it's just not there i don't mean to keep arguing with you lightly i feel like they were just like wouldn't it be funny if there was a dumb one how do we get away with that how do we get away with making someone handicapped in the year of her lord 2002 right with like a wholly unnecessary character because he's only there to endear the irish mafia to sheldon and like you could very easily endear the irish mafia to sheldon and vice versa any number of different ways i i think the reason he's the easy tie-in for the irish mafia is that it's like okay we need a driving force behind sheldon that isn't children sure so we need an we need an adult we need a powerhouse on his side and he's not necessarily going to have the network because he's a network pushover because he's so nice and friendly sure and it's only through the inclusion of the irish mafia that he actually gets anything so here's how you do it make keep spinner just give him 12 less concussions and make him the only other genuine good person in this movie Oh, but then you would forego Irish Mafia Mommy, and I love her. No, you can still have Irish Mafia Mommy, who loves her beloved son or brother or, or however they're related. You can do everything you do, only, like, Spinner's, like, a genuine good guy and, like, an actual lifeline for Sheldon. And then we actually give a shit when he dies. I keep forgetting he died. He dies horribly <laughs> i blocked out a lot of this movie that's and, fair and so did roger ebert because he proclaimed it the worst movie of 2002 well what other what else you got for what else you got for 2002 okay yeah. movies that were made in 2002 i'm here for well, it well while you do that i'm gonna say one thing and i think listeners if you haven't watched the film this is maybe the most indicative thing I can point to as just shit that didn't work or maybe got rewritten. For the first two times you see him, Harvey Firestein's character is draped in shadow. They they try to make this whole mystery thing of, of who is the character of Merv? Who is this shadowy media conglomerate that people keep talking about? But first of all, that's really stupid when it's Harvey Firestein, <laughs> one of the most iconically, instantly recognizable voices in Hollywood. And then they just show him in like his first scene and never make a thing of it again. Yeah, because it's not, it's the argument of the monster from Signs. It's when you see him that it matters. It didn't matter before because I was like, that's Harvey fucking Firestein. But the fact that they just kind of go, oh, this doesn't work because it's Harvey Firestein. Should we reshoot those scenes? Nah. Incidentally, 2002 was a big year for like 
really good movies. I believe that. Was that the year we got Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? I'm I'm not sure. I'm only in the first 50. Fair enough. But that is the year that we got Lilo and Stitch, The Ring, Chicago, Treasure Planet, Red Dragon. There you go. Hell yeah. Uh, About a Boy, Sweet Home Alabama, Signs, Gangs of New York, Ice Age, 28 okay. Days Later, Born Identity, Resident Evil, 8 Mile, Scooby-Doo, Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the but all of this to say like it's also the year we got the hot chick sure it's also the year we got we were soldiers and the time machine oh we were soldiers oh that jingoistic jingoistic movie panic room uh cabin fever the Sweetest Thing, Queen of the Damned. At least three of those movies are on the list. Good Lord, save my soul. <laughs> but the whole point of us saying this movie is so bad is that it could have been really good. It, it was a couple rewrites and maybe having somebody, either having somebody other than Danny DeVito direct or having somebody other than Danny DeVito be in the movie away from being enjoyable. How much does this movie change for you if you have someone who isn't as comedic as Danny DeVito as the agent? Someone a little more slick, someone a little more slimy. Huh. So, like... Alec Baldwin. How much does that change the tenor of the movie for you if Alec Baldwin is the agent? I think it it gets a little better. I don't think Danny DeVito does anything wrong in this movie or is the worst part. I just more think the only thing I can guess is he was distracted by doing both. Yeah. Which doesn't make sense because, again, he'd done literally the same thing but more when he made Hoffa. But uh, arguably, I, I would rather see Alec Baldwin. I would absolutely see Hank Azaria instead of John Stewart, which is what it was supposed to be. And it is so random John Stewart is in this movie. We both tilted our heads and we were like, is that baby John Stewart? Is that baby John Stewart? And then two seconds later, I shout, that's the fucking gangster from Home Alone? Who plays the gangster from Home Alone? What? So the, like, he's, he only has two scenes, but, like, the network president, the old guy who is, like, yelling at Jon Stewart after Rainbow Randolph gets canceled, is the gangster in the movie Angels with Dirty Faces from Home Alone. He's oh. the guy who believes you, but is Tommy Gun down. Oh, he's the one who says filthy animals. Yes. Okay. I was going to say Marv or the other one, but then I'm now realizing you meant the actual gangster, not one of the wet bandits. Indeed, because they're bandits, not gangsters. Incidentally, (laughs) we watched Home Alone like because it's not Christmas until you watch Home Home Alone. And then, like, on Christmas Day, Mariah and I watched Home Alone 2 for the first time ever. Which, why? Because <laughs> it's also a Christmas movie. 
Sure, I guess. It was more enjoyable than death to Smoochie. <laughs> I was just trying to help the children. Oh, you like kids, huh? Oh, yes, of oh, course. I bet you know some fairy tales then. Hey, Danny, tell him the one about the worthless prick that gets his head chopped off with an axe. Okay, so we've been hating on this movie a lot, and it kind of reminds me of a societal trend. Okay. So, okay, Andy, Andy, okay, I want you to travel back with me to when you were in, like, second grade. Okay. At that time, at second grade, were you watching Barney? No, and I know this because in first grade... A bully made fun of me for watching the Potty Rangers, aka the Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. And I was so, like, upset by it that I stopped watching Power Rangers. And I was absolutely watching Power Rangers later than I was watching Barney. Okay, so you were bullied about watching a certain children's show. Do you remember ever being bullied about watching Barney or hearing other kids be like, Barney's for babies? Yeah, absolutely. Barney became an intense source of ridicule and like that certain kind of elementary school derision where it's just like you're bad and you should feel bad for watching Barney. So this is a whole societal trend that I find absolutely fascinating when media stops being appropriate for a certain age group. Mm, okay. And then, so for example, um, Mariah was telling me the other day that y'all have started watching episodes of Bluey on TikTok <laughs> before we, bed. Yes, we absolutely have. Now, Bluey is a, don't get me wrong, as a children's show goes, it's pretty fantastic. I have it on record that my brother-in-law doesn't let my niece and nephew watch a new episode of Bluey without him. Sorry, I'm saying that on tape, Reggie, but it's true. <laughs> and like, because it's such a good children's show, it's funny, it's smart, it's got sass, it's got some like adult humor that's actually really fun for adults to watch along with kids. Yeah. So the whole thing with Barney was that it was just for kids. There's a lot of children's media that's like, that tries to do the Sesame Street, for example, tries to do the we are entertaining for adults, but we try to be inter or we are entertainment for children, yeah. but we try to be entertaining for adults too. Sure. That's kind of part of what Sesame Street does is it's education, but it's very aware. Parents are tired. Parents are going to be watching this with their children. We don't want to bore parents. Yeah. So the problem with Barney is that Barney is very specifically written just to be a children's show such that so many people have focused on this trend that there's documentaries, there's literature, there are articles written by like Yale University researchers I believe it. around what Barney represents for a preschool television show mm. and focusing on how it's literally meant for children. It's not meant for adults. It's not meant for anyone over the age of six. Yeah. 
And I think it's really fascinating how as a culture, like we age out of a certain level of media and that's kind of represented in Death to Smoochie if you really zoom in and peel at it mm. of, I only have so much time in this limelight. The kind of clutching and screaming at this, here is my time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold to it so deeply. Does that make sense? Am I just rambling? No, it, it makes sense, but it makes me think that is what didn't get included in the final draft of this film. Correct. Because that is clearly the emotional pathos of the film. That's how you make Robin Williams' character interesting, is you have him go, I know I fucked up, but I'm not ready to stop being Mr. Rogers. Yeah. And everything that goes with that, which the film, like, kind of tiptoes around, but never actually addresses or gets into. I think that's a, a brilliant salient point, and I really wish that Adam Resnick and Danny DeVito had thought of it. Well, so in um, a 93 newspaper article, Jerry Franklin, who is the head of Connecticut Public Television, they co-produced Barney, um, said that when adults don't like Barney, in a way they take it as a compliment because Barney isn't designed for the parents. Sure. We think Barney speaks to children at their level. It's simple terms. It's music. Yes, it's repetitive because that's what speaks to preschool age children. And I wanted so badly for Death to Smoochie to go there and go to the point where it's like, you only have so much time to capture this very particular, very salient audience. Yeah. They have this whole thing about singing songs about my stepdad's not mean. He's just adjusting, which is absolutely a song for a specific time, a specific period, a specific situation, but it doesn't go deeper. And that was my frustration yeah. with the movie. Uh, you know, and, and what I'm going to say, I'm going to recommend to you and, and also just listeners like this is a, a genuine recommendation. The Jim Carrey TV show Kidding. I said it wrong before. Also asked Catherine Keener. But it, it, it is the encapsulation of everything we're talking about because it's basically a show. Imagine Mr. Rogers, only Mr. Rogers is fighting with his network executive because he wants to put a song in the show about why it's okay to feel sad that your mom's going to die from cancer. Like, it gets fucking heavy and interesting and deep and manages to be really funny. Interesting. It's everything this, it's everything Death of Smoochie is not, is what I'll say. Okay, I'm here for that. We didn't even talk about it, but there is a Nazi rally in this movie. Oh yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> the Nazi rally makes absolutely no sense, and I kind of feel like they only put it in there because they were like, yeah, it worked for Blues Brothers. <laughs> um, and right after the Nazi rally, the Nazi rally is part of why Smoochie temporarily gets canceled. Yeah. And when it's disproven that Smoochie is not in fact a Nazi, the first thing he has is a uh, ceremony, not a ceremony, an episode, a segment where he comes up 
from a trap in the ground, a trap in the stage, and he's wrapped in an American flag. And he dances to, like, American bandstand-type music. Which, hearing you say out loud, it it occurs to me that that moment could have been, like, really funny in a satirical, jingoistic kind of way. And instead, it was just a moment that I watched and didn't care about because the film had already lost me. It was a moment we watched and I went, oh, that's the most... You and I both said, oh, that's the most realistic thing. (laughs) Indeed. Just in terms of media and how we slant ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And that makes me think about how, like, this movie is very unrealistic about media and specifically media fallout. Because Mm. in reality, Rainbow Randolph would have gotten, like, kicked off his show and then three months later been on Fox talking to Tucker Carlson and, like, giving financial advice. Oh, no. (laughs) But absolutely true. And I also think that moment is just so salient and then it's completely, like, we just go by it. Yeah. It's not even a thing. We don't talk about it. The only other political moment that happens in that episode is that Smoochie is talking about depression and going out at the end of the night and he gives it's his song is like the howl and mm. he talks about sometimes how the smoochie just has to howl and it's a very howard dean because yeah. he just deals with his depression on the show and it's not scripted and all the kids are sitting there like okay <laughs> right right all right but then like it becomes weirdly cathartic because everyone starts doing it. Oh, do they? I think so. Or is that just us giving the movie more credit than it's worth? I mean, the kids definitely howled. I don't know how earnest it was. Fair. Good <laughs> point. Man, I'll tell you something. All that jigging and zigging really makes me hungry. And when I get hungry, you know what time it is. <laughs> What? I think the moral of the story is make friends with the Irish mob. I think so. I think that's what we learned. I can't think of anything else that could be the moral because that's literally how this resolves itself. Like Sheldon has his breaking point and has a gun in Danny DeVito's face and is going to like throw it all away tragically and then his friends in the Irish mob come up to him and are like no don't don't let go of your innocence don't let go of your purity you're a good one stay a good one and then like pat him on the butt as he's walking away and then take the gun it's like okay let's have a talk Danny DeVito let's talk have you two boys ever taken a trip together And so what we have learned applies to our lives today. Indeed. Much like a much like a children's show. <laughs> is this cult or is it just bad? Oh, I think this is I, I think this is just bad. I You heard it here. Bad. I want like the um, Mythbusters sound where they're just like Okay, done. <laughs> um so like any movie, this this has a bizarre, I feel like bizarre, amount of people defending it online. And like, 
I've thought about this movie before seeing it, like maybe once every two years, just like, oh yeah, there's that Barney parody movie. I bet that's funny. I'll watch at some point. But I, I think this movie is a fucking mess. And like, not even in the fun way. I didn't watch this so bad it's good. I, I watched this with a slack-jawed, face-tilted, like, what is even happening expression for, like, the last hour. It's a lot. And, okay, I want to say probably budget-wise it didn't make it back. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. This bombed. This bombed hard. Okay. But it's, I guess it's quotable. It's fine. But it just, it doesn't feel worthy of being cult. But then at the same time, we've called worse movies than this cult. Well, I'd argue the worst movies are cult. Like, there, there, is a, there, there exists a level where it becomes so bad that it is actually enjoyable in such a way. And this does the worst thing of all where it doesn't actually even reach that part. Okay, so, okay, Andy. Andy, okay. Would you rather watch this or Beowulf? <laughs> oh, Beowulf was such a piece of shit, wasn't it? It was. Oh. I would rather watch this, mm-hmm. but I think Beowulf is more cult. Interesting. Would you rather watch Death to Smoochie or Howard the Duck? Oh, I'd rather watch Death to Smoochie. Howard the Duck is like unassailably more cult. Unassailably. Absolutely true. Okay. Would you rather watch this or Bad Science? Weird Science? Sure. (laughs) Would you rather watch this or Weird Science? I'd rather watch Weird Science, and I hated that movie. Same. Yeah. Would you rather watch Death to Smoochie or Excalibur? Oh, I'd rather watch Death of Smoochie. <laughs> okay. Shorter. Okay, we found it. Uh, I also think I also think I don't remember what we said, and I'm not going to go back and listen to it. But I also think that like Excalibur is another movie that is so bad that it is not fun and therefore shouldn't be cult. I remember now it does have a, a random cult following. But again, like I said, so does Death of Smoochie. Apparently, doesn't mean it deserves it. I think it's just bad. Well, whether it's bad or not, we do have to give it an Oscar. Are you prepared for that? That is true. And yes, I am, because my Oscar relates to its badness. Oh, no. You know it's hard when it's that. Go ahead. So my Oscar for Death to Smoochie is most absolutely shoehorned and romantic subplot. Oh, yeah. And I I talked about it a little bit, but, like, Catherine Keener is set up as this, like butting heads antagonistic force like if death to smoochie was chris farley katherine keener would have been david spade yeah does that make sense yeah and like they hate each other they can't stand each other there is zero chemistry between them correct and then she sees spindly ass ed norton like 
Shirtless. Shirtless Ed Norton, who, like, didn't have the toning he had for Fight Club. Although he wasn't the ripped one. Brad Pitt was in that movie. Oh, I, I sense I detect a wee bit of body shaming here. Fair. <laughs> she she sees Ed, Nor- Ed Norton without a shirt, without commenting on anything about his physique, and seeing him without a shirt has her go, Oh, you know what? I'll give this a shot. And then, like, two scenes later, she is deeply, purposefully, earnestly in love with him. And he with her. And, like, it just doesn't work. Somebody was like, hey, guys, you gotta have a romantic subplot in the film when you didn't. (laughs) When you didn't. When you didn't. It gets weirdly slut-shaming, Catherine Keener's arc. It gets weirdly slut-shaming because during my Oscar, it comes out that she is, and how does Robin Williams put it? Something along the lines of she's a mascot chaser. She's here for the Muppets. She has a fetish for felt. Jesus. (laughs) She has a fetish for children's entertainers. She has a kink for Kermit. (laughs) I can keep going. I know you can. I'm going to stop you here, though. (laughs) But, okay, so she has a thing for children's entertainers. This comes out during Oscar for the most calm gunside holdup. Sure. Because... Uh, Robin Williams' Rainbow Randolph comes out and holds uh, Marvin Mervin Melps. Sheldon Mopes. Sheldon Mopes. And his love interest. Yeah, I don't remember her name. It's just Catherine Keener. <laughs> <laughs> Good Christ. He holds them captive at gunpoint and they're just fine. They're just talking to him. They're like, hey, but here's the thing, though. And, like, it's slightly elevated, but it's nowhere near as elevated as it should be when one of them has a fucking gun in his hands. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It. They play it. She particularly plays it like she knows he's never going to shoot. But we've seen this man come inches away from self-emulating himself and like that's a pet peeve of mine (laughs) what when people say self-emulating himself obviously Uh, he was about to self-emulate himself who else do you self-emulate fair enough sorry this is like the third time this has come up (laughs) i'm sorry he was two inches away from self-emulating. I mean, and he he appears to be like an unhinged man on the edge, and like they don't have any good rapport, and they haven't the entire movie. So like, it's yet another thing that is totally unjustified. This movie just lacks buy-in. This movie lacks buy-in. It's occurring to me this movie fails the Bechtel test. Oh, for sure. Because there's only two like female speaking roles period it's Catherine keener and the irish mob lady tommy irish mafia mommy irish mafia mommy tommy oh so nice (laughs) but you know who always has time for irish mafia mommy (laughs) 
Um, so would you like to go first or shall I? I'll let you. Okay. Um, so for my bacon, I can do it in two films. Um, Ed Norton was probably the best part of this film. And I like to reward that in my bacons when I can. And I realized Ed Norton is in Birdman with Emma Stone. Amazing movie. Much better. Wish I had been watching it instead of Death of Smoochie. And Emma Stone is in Crazy Stupid Love with Kevin Bacon. Fair enough. Well played. You did it in two. I'm Huzzah. very proud of you. I also did it in two, but it's very important to me how I got to two. Okay. Because Michael Raspoli, a.k.a. Spinner Dunn, was in While You Were Sleeping mm. with Sandra Bullock, who was in Loverboy with Kevin Bacon. Okay. I just I wanted to go with him because he's so beautiful to of me. Of course, of course. I, I appreciate that. I think I'll give you like the inching forward to claim the win on the bacon there because it meant more to you and I appreciate that. Thank you. And for the record of things that mean more to me, because, you know, we believe in women on this podcast and we've been referring to her as Irish Mafia Mommy. Irish Mafia Mommy Tommy was played by Pam Ferris. Indeed. Fair, fair point to correct. I just, I feel like it's important, you know? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> But also important, the movie we're watching next. Very important, the movie we're watching next, because God, you hope it's going to be a good one. Every episode of Cult Fiction, we put our hands in the Hollywood crypt. We put our hands in fate through the application of a random number generator. And sometimes it spits out a movie that I've vaguely been aware of for 20 years and go, oh, I'd like to watch that sometime. And then it's a complete piece of garbage. And, and sometimes it gives us an actual good movie. And we have no way of knowing other than knowing that we have a 1 in 276 chance of it being the film Anaconda. So that's my way of saying we have 276 films on the list. And on the next episode of Cult Fiction, we will be watching number 147. 147 oh potential like double feature with death to smoochie because i know this to be another black comedy that people talk about a lot on the next episode of cult fiction we will be watching the ben stiller directed 1996 black comedy the cable guy Interesting. I know next to nothing about this movie, but I'm excited. It stars Jim Carrey, and he tries to kill people. Cool. All right. <laughs> well, on that note, that's all for this edition of Cult Fiction. To keep up, follow us on Twitter at Cult Fiction Cast. You can also follow, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the crypt for now. But join us next time when in a streaming age we look back at the way that network programming and television used to be an archaic technology of yesteryear as we watch Jim Carrey in The Cable Guy. For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Boel. Hey.